Section 23 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Abai in August 2016. Essay 21 The Fairyland of the Fourth Dimension by A. Clementus, A. C. Silverman, Syracuse, New York. Everybody has observed the difficulty that a little child has in realizing that it must step over a comparatively high object on the floor. It has no notion of falling. It is delighted and astonished as, from its eminence on the table, it watches you bend down and disappear, and then rise up again and cry, Peekaboo! This inability on the part of babies to comprehend a third dimension is well known. Now, very serious and bespectacled geometricians tell us that perhaps we too are but babies in a space of a fourth dimension, and that we too might be no less astonished if beings from that world choose to play peekaboo with us. In order to get some notion of the fourth dimension, let us, first of all, get an idea of the meaning of dimension. The dictionary gives it as extension in space. Every material body, such as a tree, a horse, a sheet of paper, is known as a physical solid, and the limited portion of space it occupies is known as a geometrical solid, because it extends in three directions and we speak of every object as having three dimensions, length, breadth, and thickness. Yet, although a very thin sheet of paper is a solid, we can think of its surface only, and although a tree is a solid, we can think of its height only, without any reference to its diameter. This is true, for we do have the linear measure with its inch, foot, yard, and we have the square measure with its square inch, square foot, and square yard. Indeed, we may get an idea of the cube by drawing, first, a straight line, then another straight line perpendicular to the first at its extremity, forming a square, and then a third line perpendicular to the other two at the same extremity, forming a box or cube, the volume of which is expressed by the cubic measure, the cubic inch, cubic foot, and so forth. The same idea can be gotten from the following definitions in geometry. A point has position, but no magnitude. If a point moves, it generates or traces a line, and that has length only. If a line moves, not along itself, it generates a surface, which has length and width, if a surface moves, not along itself, it generates a solid, which has thickness, besides the other two dimensions. But having the solid, our experience does not permit us to go any further. However we move the solid, we still generate a solid and nothing else. Nevertheless, let us be bold and imagine that we move the solid into a space that it did not previously occupy, and that we make it take an added dimension that it did not previously have. We now get an object of four dimensions. It may be difficult for us to form a conception of a world of more than three dimensions. 
Yet it is no more difficult than to imagine a world confined to only two dimensions, or than, for beings of such a world, to form a conception of our space. For simplicity, let the two-dimensional world be a plane, though equally well it might be the surface of a sphere. We may picture to ourselves the mode of life of the inhabitants of this flat land. They could move in any direction along the plain, but they could not move perpendicularly to it, and would have no consciousness that such a motion was possible. They would not be able to turn their heads up and down. Things about them could be pulled or pushed in any direction, but they could not be lifted up. People and things could pass around each other, but they could not step over anything. Their plane geometry, however, would be exactly like ours. In this supposed land, let us draw two straight lines perpendicular to one another, that is, two straight lines intersecting at right angles at A. The drawing, figure 1, would be as perfectly conceivable to our plane beings as it is to us. But suppose we asked them to draw a third line perpendicular to the other two lines at the same point of intersection A. That would seem absurd and impossible to them, just as it would be to us if we had to draw the required third line on the paper. But with this condition removed, we can leave the plane surface of the paper and draw the third line through the paper perpendicular to the surface at A, just as we might stick a pin at A vertical to this page. So too, with us, when we have a cube after drawing three mutually perpendicular lines and are required to draw a fourth line passing through the same point, perpendicular to all of the three lines already there. In our space the problem is absurd and impossible. Our conceptions do not admit of more than three dimensions. But for a being that could conceive of a fourth dimension, the problem would be easy. He would simply draw the line through that space. Our conscious life is in three dimensions, and naturally the idea occurs whether there may not be a fourth dimension. No inhabitant of flatland could realize what life in a world of three dimensions would mean. Yet, if he were intellectual, he might be able to extend the analytical geometry that applied to his world, so as to obtain results true for a world in three dimensions, a world that would be unknown and inconceivable to him. Similarly, we cannot realize what life in four dimensions is like, though we can use our analytical geometry to obtain results true of that world, or even of worlds of higher dimensions. Moreover, the analogy of our position to the inhabitant of flatland enables us to form some idea of how the inhabitants of space of four dimensions would regard us. If we place the dweller of flatland inside a circle, or inside a rectangle drawn on his plane, he would be as truly imprisoned as we are in a closed prison cell. He would go all around, and, finding every inch of it closed, he would simply despair of getting out, unless he could break through it. On account of his limited conceptions, he could not possibly understand how we might step over the boundary. He could form no notion of the trick. 
but we should simply step over the line and reappear on the other side. So if we, confined within the six surfaces of a dungeon, a being able to move in the fourth dimension, he would step outside of the cell without breaking any part of the walls, ceiling or floor. He would do it as easily as we could pass over the circle drawn on a plane without touching it, so wonderful to our friend in Flatland. Our new being, the first dimensional one, would simply disappear from our view like a spirit, and then reappear again outside the prison. He would only have to pass through the fourth dimension. Of course, no such a case has yet been reported. Let us continue our analogy further. We know that the cross-section of a line is a point, that of a surface, a line, and that of a cube, a surface. Hence, if a fourth-dimensional object were cut crosswise, its section would be a cube, that is, a four-dimensional object is bounded on all sides by solids. Again, on a line we can find two points equidistant from each other, for example the points B and C with the single distance BC, figure 2. In a plane we can find three equidistant points, as the vertices of an equilateral triangle in which AB is equal to BC is equal to CA, figure 3. In our space, four equidistant points can be located, the vertices of a tetrahedron, that is, a pyramid having four triangular faces. Hence, in four-dimensional space, it should be possible to find five equidistant points. Further, rotation in a plane takes place about a point, in our space about an axis as shown in figure 4. Hence, in four-dimensional space, rotation should take place about a plane. This last point, rotation, leads to a curious geometrical application of the principle. We have in figure 5 two triangles, of which the sides and angles of the one are equal to the corresponding sides and angles of the other. We can lift one triangle up and turn it over on the other so that the two triangles fit exactly together. But mind, we could not do it otherwise than by lifting. Hence, these two triangles could never be fitted together by the mathematicians of Flatland, since to them lifting is inconceivable. Possibly, however, they might suspect this method by noticing that an inhabitant of one-dimensional space, say for simplicity, one living on a straight line, might experience a similar difficulty in comparing the equality of two segments, AB and B'A'. Figure 6, each defined by a set of two points. We may suppose that the segments are equal, and so that the corresponding points in them could be superposed by rotation round C. This movement, so simple to a flatlander, would be inconceivable to our one-dimensional being. In fact, even if he were moving along the lines from A to A', he would not arrive at the corresponding points in the same relative order, and thus might hesitate to believe that the corresponding distances were equal. So, judging from this being's difficulties, the dweller of the plane might infer, by analogy, 
that by turning one of the triangles over through three-dimensional space, they could make them coincide. We have a somewhat similar difficulty in our geometry. Let us suppose two pyramids, figure 7, similarly related. All the faces and angles of the one correspond exactly to the faces and angles of the other. Yet lift them about as we please, we could never fit them together. If we fit the bases together, the two will lie on opposite sides, one being below the other. Again, we may conceive of two solids, such as a right hand and a left hand, which are exactly similar and equal, but of which one cannot be made to occupy exactly the same position in space as the other does. These are difficulties similar to those experienced by the inhabitants of Flatland in comparing the triangles. But it may be conjectured that in the same way as such difficulties in the geometry of an inhabitant in space of one dimension are explicable by moving the figure temporarily into space of two dimensions by means of rotation round a point, and as such difficulties in the geometry of flatland are explicable by moving the figure temporarily into space of three dimensions by means of rotation round a line, so such difficulties in our geometry would disappear if we could temporarily move our figures into space of four dimensions by means of rotation round a plane, a movement quite inconceivable to us. That is, the dweller in four-dimensional space would take our troublesome pyramids and fit them together without any trouble. By merely turning over one of them, he would convert it into the other without any change whatever in the relative positions of its parts. What he could do with the pyramids, he could also do with our hands, or our right shoe and left shoe, or, in fact, with one of us human beings, if we allowed him to take hold of us and turn a somersault with us in the fourth dimension. We should then return to our own space and appear as changed as when our natural form is seen in a mirror. Everything on us would be changed from right to left, even the seams of our clothes, and every hair on the head. And through the whole process no change would occur in the relative positions of the parts of the body. To sum up, then, we may say that the fourth dimension is an extension in a space unknown to us and in a direction outside of those we can conceive. The idea is to us incomprehensible. We have no positive proof of its existence. But, inconclusive and insufficient as are the results, we can get a notion of the fourth dimension by attending to the corresponding step that the plane being would have to take in forming an imaginary construction of our space. Also, we considered how this inhabitant of flatland might find arguments to support the view that space of three dimensions existed, and then we saw whether analogous arguments applied to our world. Right around us, but in a direction that we can no more conceive than the flatlander can conceive a direction perpendicular to his plane, there may exist, then, another universe, or any number of universes. All that physical science can say against this supposition is that even if a fourth dimension exists, 
it must forever remain unknown to us in our natural condition. In conclusion, it may be said that the growth of this fairyland of geometry has been greatly influenced by the theory of parallels, which theory is the result of an attempt to prove that through a point only one line can be drawn parallel to another line, this being taken for granted in our plane geometries. Ignoring, then, this accepted truth, Lobachevsky, a Russian geometer, and the Hungarian Bolyai constructed, about 1830, a geometry in which more than one line can be drawn through a point parallel to another line. The term applied to it is metageometry, and its study has stimulated the development of the geometry of hyperspace, of which the fourth dimension is but a special case. Furthermore, attempts have been made to find, in the space of four dimensions, explanations of certain difficulties or apparent inconsistencies in physical science. Thus, the behavior of the atoms in certain carbon compounds has been attributed to their motion in the fourth dimension. Attempts have also been made to explain the properties and constitution of matter by means of space of four dimensions. One writer has even argued thus, if a finite solid were passed slowly through flatland, the inhabitants would be conscious only of that part of it which was in their plane, that is, they would see only a surface, or the section of the solid by their space. They would see the shape of the object gradually change and finally vanish. In the same way, if a body of four dimensions were passed through our space, we should be conscious of it only as a solid, namely the section of the body by our space, and as it moved along we should see its form and appearance gradually change and finally vanish, perhaps. So he suggested that the birth, growth, life and death of animals may be explained thus, as the passage of finite four-dimensional bodies through our three-dimensional space. Again, the idea of a fourth dimension has been made ridiculous by the suggestion that spirits probably dwell in that dimension and can appear to us and disappear at pleasure, thus offering an explanation for the so-called phenomena of spiritualism. But whatever else we may think of these theories, we can certainly admit the possibility of a fourth dimension, even if it be only for the sake of mental gymnastics. End of section 23